Hey, this is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream, Refuge Recovery, and Dharma Punks. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. I hope you're enjoying the Dharma. Together, may we create a positive change on this planet. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes. May our paths cross soon. investigate the present time experience. Use your mind to become curious, paying close attention to how the breath enters and exits, and all of the sensations at the nostrils, chest, belly, that the body experiences with each breath.
remember to be kind if you find yourself wandering into the future or past thinking, planning. Gently disengaging without judgment or as little judgment as possible. Training the mind to return to the chosen object of the breath, the body breathing. with the kind of patience you would have with your own child. And if you're pretty new to this kind of meditation, keep using the breath. That's a good object. Training the mind, coming back to the breath over and over. But the Buddha's instructions encourage us to expand, to become more and more inclusive of our whole experience, not just the breath but the whole body, all of the sensations, head to toe, becoming aware, sitting, know that you're sitting, knowing all of the sensations created by contact, body on the chair or cushion, where your hands are resting, Perhaps even feeling the fabric of your clothing on your skin. All of the sense doors included. Sounds are not a distraction, but happening right now to be mindful of. As well as thoughts emotions happening right now, thoughts about future, past, fantasies, doubts, worries, present time phenomena of the mind.
we become more inclusive rather than allowing the attention to bounce around too quickly from breath to thought to sound. Sustain awareness with whatever calls your attention. If it's a thought, observe the thought, unentangled participation with the mind. See how the thought proliferates, arises, passes, gives birth to the next story, to the next idea or memory. If it's a sound that calls for your attention, pay attention to that sound all the way until it disappears. Come to know directly the impermanent nature of everything that we experience. Sounds rising and passing, thoughts appearing and dissolving, sensations coming and going. And as we become more and more present in this practice, it becomes more clear that each experience has a feeling tone to it that we perceive our experience as being either pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. Each thought experienced as pleasant or unpleasant, or perhaps neutral, each sound, each sensation, emotion. Smell, taste, sight. Perceived as likable, agreeable, perhaps we crave more, get attached, difficult, painful, hard to bear, we become aversive, wanting it to go away. There's this quality of inquiry, investigation in your meditation to turn towards what's happening in the body and the heart and mind and identify how it feels. This feels pleasant, this feels unpleasant. Much of our experience may be neutral, neither pleasant nor unpleasant, also to be known.
as we turn towards our own painful thoughts and feelings. We learn to tolerate them more rather than running, reacting, avoiding. Breathe into your own pain, whether it's a painful sensation in your body, unpleasant memory or fear in the mind. Try to soften to meet it with mercy, inclining the mind towards compassion, even towards the ache in your knee. And the critical voice in your mind. Softening is an act of mercy when we find the jaw tight, belly hardened, the heart closed. Letting go is an act of kindness, an act of mercy when we find ourselves clinging craving, suffering about something that's not even happening right now. It's just a thought, a memory, a worry.
as much as you can, release it, let it go.
When you're ready, allowing your eyes to be open. Perhaps stretching or moving whatever way feels good. And we can continue this quality of present time awareness, mindfulness, as we open our eyes and uh, the world appears and the screen appears and uh, we move our bodies. And, and also this second foundation that we're investigating, which is pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, um, as we take a drink of water or move of just seeing how, um, how much we move towards what would feel pleasant and away from what feels unpleasant naturally. So I'm gonna to talk tonight about um, mercy. We're on chapter four of the, I think it's chapter four. Yeah, of the um, book. This is uh, part two the middle path of the one percenters of the heart between the dead end of worldliness and the dead end of religion. And um, I really like this as a definition for Buddhism, a middle path. Um, and, and it's interpreted different ways by different people, but I like this interpretation of uh, there's two dead ends to be avoided in our life. If we are seeking, you know, it's, it's always under the context, if you don't want to suffer, if you want true uh, freedom and, and happiness and well-being, then uh, avoid the dead end of seeking that well-being from the world, of thinking that the world, the world of sense pleasures, the world of uh, indulgence and, uh, you know, is gonna somehow provide our happiness. And this in itself is pretty radical because uh, certainly we live in a world that gives all kinds of false promises of happiness through material, sensual uh, accomplishment uh, experiences. And um, it's quite a, I think it's quite a blessing if you really know, completely understand inside yourself that the world will not provide what you're looking for. It's just, it's not a failure. <laughs> it's not that you haven't been successful enough. It's not that you haven't been uh, skillful enough at navigating the world. The world just doesn't provide it. And um, I know that it's just such a long uh, and deeply held confusion that so many of us have. Um, seems like the whole world, you know, is suffering from this delusion that there's a material or sensual solution. And this is one of the really radical things that, that the Buddha taught was that um, it's an inside job. 
that what we're looking for cannot be found out there. It can only be found through a radical change in our relationship to our own mind. And as we change our relationship to our mind, to our body, to our emotions, we change our relationship to the world and this change can end suffering. And uh, you know, this other dead end that, that the Buddha referred to of the uh, extreme of blind faith and uh, the dead end of religion and all of the false uh, delusional promises that religion uh, often offers, ask, asking us to believe things that are absolutely not true and promising us experiences that are absolutely unattainable. And, um, you know, some fantasy afterlife of, of happiness rather than a embodied present incarnation where we don't have to suffer so much and can have more and more well-being. So in this middle path, the Buddha says, uh, first we have to turn towards all of our suffering. First noble truth, turn towards, see clearly, penetrate into deeply into the reality that there is suffering, that our mind all by itself creates suffering, that our emotions uh, are difficult to, to bear, that this nervous system, this physical body is often uncomfortable and that there's a, an instinctual drive towards pleasure, second noble truth. And that uh, because, and you know, most of you who listen to me know that I'm always saying, um, you know, these first two truths are normalizing and in one way or another are also letting us know that actually all of this suffering is not your fault. It's normal to be stressed out, afraid, worried, anxious, <laughs> all of that shit is normal. That's the first noble truth. The fact that you crave for life to be pleasant and aren't very good at tolerating pain, normal. <laughs> Comes with taking birth, part of incarnation. But then the Buddha goes way out onto a limb and he says, it's possible to have such a radical transformation through our own efforts in this lifetime that we're no longer in the ordinary, normal human experience of suffering, that we break free. And that we do that by developing compassion for pain and non-attached appreciation of pleasure and we learn to not uh, be so identified, to take it all personal and believe that every, you know, not to be so self-centered. It's a simple, uh, <laughs> only three things you gotta do. Have compassion for everything all of the time that's unpleasant. Don't cling to anything ever and stop taking it all so personal and don't, don't be so self-centered and you won't suffer anymore, simple. 
And unlike many religions, it's not saying, and just believe this. It's saying, you got to practice your ass off, train your mind, because status quo is you hate pain. Developing compassion is possible, but it is difficult. It is counter to our instincts. It is against the stream. Non-attachment is possible, but it is difficult. We have to train the heart, the mind to let go. And it takes years and years of practice to get very good at letting go, letting be, getting very good at responding consistently with compassion to our internal experience and to the world. Part of the setup here uh, that I love and the, the teaching of the Buddha is that um, it's an empowerment and it's an acknowledgement that we human beings actually have a lot of uh, influence. We are not powerless over our reactivity. We're not powerless over what happens. We're not in total control either. <laughs> and so I like to think of uh, influence. We can incline our mind towards compassion. We can train our minds, our hearts, and we'll influence the direction of our life towards more wisdom, towards less suffering. But it's not something that we can, uh, obviously, it's not just a decision that we can make because we all would have made it. We've all made that decision. I'm going to be compassionate, non-attached, and not so self-centered. I decided. <laughs> I'm not going to suffer anymore. This suffering sucks. I'm just going to done with that. We can't, you know, we don't have that control, but we have the practice. We have the Dharma. We have the meditation instructions, the eightfold path, the five precepts. We have the guidance. We have the map to freedom. If you don't, you know, if I'm, you know, if you're new and you don't understand what I'm talking about, the Eightfold Path or the Five Precepts, um, I don't want to explain them right now because that's not what I'm talking about tonight. But, you know, read a Dharma book, it'll all be explained. <laughs> this is the core of the Buddha's teachings. So we have power. We have the ability to uh, intervene. We have the ability to change. We have the ability to get free, right? Third noble truth. Freedom is possible in this lifetime, not some fantasy of in the next life, not some fantasy of a better incarnation. In the Buddha's teaching, in this incarnation, through our own efforts, we can get free, no matter how unskillful, confused, how much harm we've caused to ourselves or others. There's nobody that's irredeemable. There's nobody that can't wake up. 
when I started practicing, I got a lot of um, benefit from the simple mindfulness practice, uh, mindfulness of the breath. I found it such a relief to not, to, to ignore my mind just for a few seconds. I found that my mind was creating almost all of the suffering in my life. <laughs> and the simple permission to disengage from the thought world and come into the body was a relief. Just the avoiding that suffering that the mind was creating, that the, the body was a refuge. The breath was a refuge. But I saw that when I wasn't being strictly mindful of my breath, all of my craving and aversion and self-centeredness was still running the show. And I heard, I read the books, I listened to the Dharma teachers, and I, I heard a lot about compassion and the necessity of compassion. And I would sit in meditation and I would do some loving kindness or some compassion, some forgiveness, but I just felt like I don't have any compassion. I have anger, I have fear, I have lots of resentments, but I don't have gentleness or uh, mercy or compassion or um, I don't have tenderness towards my pain. I have resentment towards my pain. <laughs> I fucking hate it. I wanna avoid it. I wanna get rid of it. And so it took a long time. What I did see in the beginning was that the more I sat in meditation, I, I, I came to meditation with the like, okay, I'll fucking sit here, but this sucks. <laughs> but I'm desperate enough that I'll sit here with my achy knees and my sore back and my loud mind. And I'll keep and a little bit of relief when I come back to the breath, but my legs still hurt, my back still hurts, my mind is still abusive. But the more I, I saw a kind of arc over the months and years of the more I sat, the more I became tolerant of discomfort. I spent the first half of my life, like the rest of the world, I think, maybe I might even be more extreme than normal people, running from pain. And then I took on this practice of, okay, I'm going to turn towards my pain. I'm going to sit here with it. And I saw, oh, my um, tolerance of discomfort started to increase. I still didn't have compassion. I still sat here with a like aversive tolerance. <laughs> so I think my experience and yours may be different than mine, but mine went from like, I'm sitting here, but I, I'm getting a tiny bit of relief when I'm ignoring it, but I hate it, but I'm just gonna keep doing it to I'm sitting here, but I hate it a little bit less. And, I, and the, the, over the months and years, actually I'm sitting here and I still don't love myself. I still don't have compassion, but I actually don't hate it anymore. I've become accustomed to being uncomfortable. I've become tolerant of my own unpleasant mind and unpleasant emotions and unpleasant sensations. To this middle place, where um, it was explained to me and it felt like the experience of mercy. Um, as I was saying before, we're powerful. And 
we have the power to meet our pain with hatred and turn it into suffering. It's like alchemy. <laughs> There's just something unpleasant happening and then magically you hate it and all of a sudden I'm suffering about it. I don't know if you're aware of this Buddhist definition, which is that pain plus aversion to pain equals suffering. And this is important because the whole Buddhist promise, the whole nirvana business that we're talking about means freedom from suffering, not freedom from pain. And we start to see, oh, I don't have to suffer about pain. And I have, uh, once you're meditating for a while, you start to wake up to, I don't want to go as far as to say it's a choice. Eventually it becomes more of a choice. We have more and more influence, more and more ability to respond. In the beginning, we're just reacting. The Buddha talked about people that didn't meditate, who haven't trained our minds as untrained worldlings. And he said, you know, the untrained worldling just goes around suffering at everything and annoying themselves and annoying others with their views and opinions. <laughs> These sort of unexamined judgments, untrained. But as we start to meditate, as we start to train our mind, then we get more choice, more real free will. And it becomes clear to us that uh, letting go is an option. You don't have to stay attached. You can relinquish, you can let go. You don't have to stay aversive, pushing away, uh, you know, being contentious about the whole experience, the whole world. That we can uh, start to end our suffering or cause our suffering. Now, again, want to back up and acknowledge that suffering is normal. Everyone experiences it. The cause of suffering, not your fault, this repetitive craving. But once we come and we have this training and this path, then we actually have the ability to intervene. And once we've been intervening for some time, meditating, training the mind, we has more and more ability to choose how we're going to respond to each experience. In the beginning, it feels elusive. My experience was it felt elusive for the first couple of years of my practice. The definition of mercy is to not cause harm in a situation where we have the power to cause harm. And the more we see I'm, something unpleasant is happening. Now I can hate it and harm myself and suffer about that, or I can tolerate it, accept it, not hate it, non-harming relationship to my own pain. Likewise, externally, something unpleasant is happening, something painful, some, uh, you know, I mean, just look around all of the incredible injustice that's happening in this world. And it's so painful to witness. 
Now we can meet that with hatred, with judgment, with let's you know, suffer at all of the ignorance in the world, or we can meet it with mercy, meet it with compassion, with like, let's not make it worse. This is the Buddhist encouragement to see the world clearly. This is a world of greed and hatred and delusion. This is a world of ignorance we're born into. We call it samsara, a realm of perpetual wandering through human uh, cultures that are all based in greed and hatred and oppression and ignorance. It's just the reality of the world that we live in. This is what the Buddha is saying about his society 2,600 years ago. Seems obvious that not much has changed. <laughs> Maybe it's even, you know, a lot of people say, fuck, it's just getting worse. We're in a more and more de degraded uh, society. The greed is just intensified by uh, technology. The hatred is just spread by technology. And, you know, You know, there's also, I, mean, I don't want to be totally down on technology as we're here sharing the Dharma through technology. <laughs> you know, the, the technology is also spreading the Dharma and offering us a lot of support and solutions. And... If you feel like, if you feel like I did, um, like compassion is pretty elusive a lot of the time, and that it feels like too high of a bar to actually care. The definition of compassion, I think, is caring, um, caring about pain, our own pain, other people's pain. Mercy is this middle place of you don't even have to care that much. It's just not making it worse. It's not like I'm so loving and, and empathetic and um, tender towards the pain. It's just, I'm not gonna, I'm just gonna choose not to make it worse than it already is. I'm gonna, as an act of mercy, on myself or on you or on the world. I'm going to refrain to the best of my ability from causing harm on top of already difficult circumstances, already painful phenomena. Ultimately, uh, we are trying to develop compassion. Mercy is a, a way station. It is a good sign. It is part of our practice. But ultimately, of course, we're going towards compassion and it's where the book is taking us towards loving kindness, towards compassion, towards equanimity and appreciation, deep forgiveness of ourselves and others. 
But I really truly um, think that uh, mercy is such an important uh, thing to practice, to reflect on, to, um, to understand. That in order to go from I hate pain to I care about pain, we have to get into this place of, I don't quite care about it yet, but I'm in this middle path place of I'm just trying to not make it worse. I'm just trying to not hate it. I'm just trying to not hate them. I'm just trying to meet even my enemies with mercy. I don't love them yet. <laughs> I don't have compassion for them yet. I'm just trying to be merciful enough on myself and on others to not meet experience with hatred, with aversion, with judgment, with ill will, with wishing harm upon whomever. So of course, this is a very different, this is the Buddhist uh, perspective on mercy, which is so different than our cultural, I think, um, maybe it's my conditioning, but uh, mercy seems like such a theistic, it's thrown around so much in Judeo-Christian, Islamic, theistic religions. God is merciful, right? God has all power and he could kick your fucking ass but he's choosing not to because he's so merciful. God's merciful. He's not going to ruin your life today if you're lucky. Rather than this perspective of like, you know, as Buddhists, we're not so interested in these ideas of, of theism and external powers. We're interested in this humanist psychology, this empowering understanding that you have the power. I have the power to ruin my fucking life. <laughs> you know, I have the power to cause all of this harm to myself, to cause harm to other people. And that as part of our path of awakening, we're going to choose to incline, to develop, to influence our own mind and our own speech and our own actions. To, out of mercy for ourselves and for each other to not make it worse. So there's all kinds of practical examples in that chapter in the book. Uh, renunciation can often be an act of mercy. Um, if you're an alcoholic and you get sober, it's an act of mercy on yourself to not keep suffering, to not keep harming yourself through those addictive behaviors. Uh, there's a story in the book about um, my friend Pablo who uh, came to me and he was already sober or in early recovery, but he was suffering from all of this um, anxiety. And we started to investigate, uh, well, are there any factors, you know, how, are there any external factors, you know, some of the internal, and he said, yeah, and, and I just at one point was talking to him and said, how much, how much caffeine are you intaking on top of that anxiety? And he's like, oh, you know, three cups of coffee and a couple sodas and chocolate every day. And I was like, well, you know, as an experiment, 
I wonder, you know, how not how, you know, refraining as an act of mercy on yourself. I wonder if you didn't intake all of that caffeine, if it would affect your anxiety. And I'm sure there's people in the class tonight who have anxiety and don't use caffeine and, you know, but his experience was when he stopped indulging in so much caffeine, his anxiety decreased a lot. And that some of his anxiety, not it didn't completely go away, but that some of his anxiety was really fueled by what he was putting into his body. And an act of mercy to say, I'm not going to do that to myself anymore. I'm not gonna make it worse. I already am suffering, I'm already anxious, I'm already, and then I drink coffee and it fucking goes through the roof. So I'm gonna stop drinking coffee. And lots of examples in our life of where refraining from doing something is the kindest, is the most merciful thing that we can do. And this is where the Buddha gives us these simple five training rules. He says, you know, when you are violent, when you're killing living beings, you're not only hurting them, you're hurting yourself. Refrain from hurting yourself as mercy on yourself and as mercy on the living beings. Stop killing. When you're stealing, when you're taking that which isn't offered, refrain. You're not only, you know, ripping someone off, <laughs> you're creating negative karma for yourself. Out of mercy for yourself, out of mercy towards the people that you're living in, in fear and, and experiencing the loss. Refrain from stealing. When you're uh, acting out sexually in inappropriate ways and you're cheating or you're lying or you're manipulating and you're in what we call sexual misconduct, you're hurting yourself, the karma of that, lack of integrity, the harm that you're causing uh, in relationships. Out of mercy for yourself, refrain from misconduct, be careful, be wise in, sec in your sexual activity. And Buddhism's pretty liberal about sex. You know, the Buddha was like, you know, consenting adults, you know, no judgment. There's no sort of, you have to be married. There's no teachings about uh, monogamy, any of that stuff. It's just, just honesty, just integrity. And then, the fifth precept, which is, I'm not sure how I can frame it as an act of mercy, <laughs> uh, but I want to. And the fifth precept which says, if you wanna get free, if you're really interested, if you wanna get committed to this path of awakening, you wanna see clearly and start choosing to respond differently to your pain, to developing mercy, to developing compassion, then Stop putting into your system the drugs and alcohol that make it more difficult to choose how you respond. Because as soon as we're intoxicated, we're no longer in choice. Our faculties, our ability to choose is altered. And so out of commitment to our practice, stay sober. Now I know for a lot of our community, myself and the other junkies in the room. <laughs> uh, 
alcoholics, addicts. Um, this fifth precept, this act of mercy, you know, like it's a necessity. It's not like I'm not doing this because I'm a good Buddhist. I'm doing this to save my life because I'm, you know, uh, I end up in locked up and in institutions and dead. So I, you know, the fifth precept supports our necessity to be sober, to be free from recreational drugs and alcohol. And even if it's not that dramatic of institutions and just misery, just suffering, drugs and alcohol just don't, you know, uh, drugs and alcohol are in the um, basket of worldliness, the dead end of, you, you think that getting high is going to actually give you some happiness? So fleeting, so temporary, it's never going to lead to a true sense of contentment. So as an act of mercy on ourselves, stay sober, even if you're not in recovery, practice the fifth precept, you know, be mindful all of the time. As much, you know, like the intention to be mindful, present in choice all of the time. like five people just dropped off of the class. They're like, this guy's telling us we can't drink. I'm out of here. <laughs> and honestly, I'm not telling you, you know, what to do, but the Buddha's teachings are clear. You do not have to follow them, but it is my job to encourage you to follow them, <laughs> to support you in that. So renunciation as an act of mercy. Letting go as an act of mercy. Maybe you don't have enough full, you know, compassion for yourself yet, but just letting go of something that you're clinging to, some, some fear, some uh, worry. Just in that moment that you come back and you say, okay, I'm here. That's not even happening right now. That's a thought. That's a a uh, story in my mind here, what's happening in my body here now and act returning to the present as an act of mercy. Breaking our uh, tendency towards I, me, mine, self-centeredness by helping someone else, being generous, being supportive, listening to each other as an act of of mercy, of, of training our heart and mind to experience some freedom. So I'd like to open it up for some discussion, some questions uh, about this. Um, I think that next week we go into um, compassion. And this is the last, the last chapter of the, of this uh, last paragraph of the chapter says, mercy is a step in the right direction until we can uncover the love and compassion of our hearts. The practice of creating less harm and being more merciful may be the bulk of our practice.
So um, of course we're going towards compassion. That really is the true solution. But in the meantime, if you're not there yet, mercy. What are your thoughts? What are your questions? Does this make sense? Uh, anything about the meditation instructions or, or this aspect of our practice? If you'd like to answer, ask a question, you can uh, raise your hand and um, I will call on you. Raise your hand in the chat box. I think it's on the bottom of your screen. There's a question in the chat about, um, would it be merciful to prevent another person from harming themselves or others? You know, easy, yes, of course, out of, you know, it would be compassionate, it would be merciful, it would be wise um, when we have that influence, when we have that ability. Um, of course, we wanna try to, you know, our goal is to alleviate harm, alleviate suffering when we can. And so if you have the power to, to stop somebody and the ability to influence them in that way, uh, including, um, uh, you know, sometimes like the 5150 mandatory uh, hold, you know, psych hold is the right thing to do to help, you know, get somebody through a suicidal or a homicidal uh, episode and get them stabilized. And so uh, I'm a fan of uh, doing that when, when it's appropriate, when it's necessary. And, um, you know, and then there's the other side of that, Richard, who I know you're aware of that. Uh, sometimes we can have all of the compassion in the world and all of the mercy and all of the good intentions. And then we also have to have the equanimity to understand that we can't stop people from harming themselves a lot of the time. And um, so that's where, you know, this conversation goes to yes, compassion, yes, the willingness to help the engagement and also the wisdom to know uh, our limitations when it comes to other people and how, how much influence or control we have over other people's happiness. Declan, go ahead, jump in, or actually Declan, hold on for one second. Richard, since we were talking about your question, go ahead and jump in. Yeah, I was just reflecting on uh, a former client of mine who uh, years ago had his adolescent son taken from their home and put into a treatment facility, I forget where it was, Utah comes to mind, against his will. And uh, the kid hated him. The kid hated him. The kid hated going there. The kid hated the whole experience. He came out clean. I don't think he stayed clean, but it took a lot of years to repair that relationship for kidnapping his kid and setting them into treatment. Yeah, it's not always, you know, I, I empathize with a parent that doesn't quite know what to do with the uh, adolescent that's acting out in, in whatever ways. Um, but uh, 
I don't know that many success stories about the kids coming back and being like, thanks, dad, you saved my life. You know, it's usually like, you motherfuckers, how dare you? And now I'm going to go shoot heroin to prove you right. Um, but that's not always the case. There's certainly stories of people who get those kind of interventions and, mm-hmm. and it's the right thing at the right time and they have great success. So hard to know how it's going to affect somebody when they're forced into something. Yeah, thanks. Declan, go ahead, jump in. Uh, I'm really loving this concept of mercy, like not causing more harm to myself or others, really digging it. But I'd like to cultivate the loving kindness too, cultivate the compassion. This book by Pema Chodron, maybe that'll help too. It's her book on loving kindness. But I was curious if you recommended any books that maybe had guided men's or some affirmations about loving kindness, like something I could read or focus on while I meditate, kind of work through and then maybe do it again. There are, there's a bunch of good books on loving kindness. And uh, this class that we're doing on Mondays is going through my loving kindness book, The Heart of the Revolution. And so that's where we're going. We're going to go into loving kindness and into compassion. So you could read my book, um, The Heart of the Revolution, but Pema Chodron's books are great. The Sharon Salzberg Loving Kindness book is great. You'll find a lot of um, of cool books on loving kindness. Um, Tara Brock's Radical Acceptance is sort of a loving kindness perspective that's quite good. And um, so you'll find a lot. But also, if you just come with us on Mondays, we're going to be doing Metta. And that's really what this talk and this chapter of the book is. It's a setup for... Even when you start doing metta, you're not going to feel loving kindness all of a sudden, but maybe you can move towards uh, less harm, you know, more mercy, and on the process of becoming more loving and compassionate. It's like harm reduction. (laughs) You know, like for addicts, it's like there's the abstinence model and there's the harm reduction model. And mercy is a little bit like, you know, on your way to compassion, harm reduction of mercy. (laughs) Yeah, uh, I'm reading Heart of the Revolution right now. I guess I was just looking for those beautiful affirmation lines that sometimes are like spoken or like shared at these guided meditations. Yeah. I don't know if you've got there yet, but all of those guided meditations will be um, in the book. Actually, if you look in the back, um, or no, it's like, as you go, there's the loving kindness um, meditation is like on in the meta chapter, Um, you know, the may you be happy, may you be at ease, may you be free from suffering, it's in there, but like around, about around page 130. Great, I think those will help. Yeah. All right, nice to see you. A couple other questions. Is there a way to be merciful for others without being merciful to yourself or vice versa? Do they come together? You know, I I have to admit who asked this question? Oh, Rick, no, uh, Joel. I have to admit, admit that I will answer this question differently depending on my own mood. Sometimes I have been guilty of saying that if you can't have compassion for yourself, your compassion for others isn't real. 
Um, if you can't have mercy for yourself, that your mercy for others is, you know, there's something missing. Sometimes I say, and tonight I'm more in the feeling of like, of course it's still, um, you can still do it. And that actually a lot of people are way better at being kind and merciful and compassionate towards others than, they, than we are towards ourselves. But there is this huge emphasis in, in the Dharma of like, if you wanna get free, it has to be from the inside out. It, you know, it's not from, you know, all of this externalizing, I'm so compassionate to everyone else, but I hate myself. We have to use these practices to learn to love, to learn to have mercy, to learn to have compassion from the inside. And then you will see, and somebody recently was saying that like it, it clicked for them after years of practice, um, that when they started to get it from the inside, actually what they thought was mercy and compassion towards others they saw, oh, it wasn't real, it wasn't full, it wasn't completely embodied. And once I had it for myself, then I really started to see the capacity of love that we really have from the inside out. Rick asks, uh, are there any acts that the practice considers to be unworthy of mercy? Well, I like the question, Rick, because it gets us into, um, you know, mostly I've been talking about an internal attitude of mercy. Um, I would say, let me answer it this way. There's nothing that is unworthy of mercy. There's nothing that is unworthy of compassion. No acts, even the most heinous acts. That having been said, with compassion, with mercy, there can still be consequences um, and there can still be really good and should be really good boundaries. And, um, you know, although our American prison industrial complex is completely and totally corrupt and the majority of the people in prison probably, you know, just need some love. <laughs> there are some people in prison that need to be in prison, right? And that the most merciful thing to do is to, uh, have that kind of consequence, that kind of um, containment for sociopaths, for you know people who aren't going to stop causing harm, um, but still mercy, but still compassion, but still forgiveness, and and resources, and you know, like you know, teach the sociopaths meditation <laughs> while they're you know where they need to be contained. Not, you know, not mercy as uh, no consequences, not mercy as, um, you know, a free for all to just, you know, harm each other, that sometimes strong boundaries are necessary and serious consequences. Hope that makes sense to you. Question, I'm gonna take these last two questions and then I think um, leave it there. Um, the question is, do I set or do we set, do I set an intention every time before we sit, before I sit? Um, 
I do these days and have for a long time. I didn't used to always in the beginning, but it became part of my habit, became part of my practice to set an intention. And most of the time, just a general uh, intention of kindness, intention of friendliness, intention of, um, so it's become my habit to do that. And I think it's a good habit to get into, to set a, uh, you know, like, yes, I'm going to be mindful, but I'm also going to uh, aspire to compassion with this mindfulness. I'm going to uh, be as friendly uh, as I can. And, you know, some traditions and uh, say, actually, you know, you can name your aspiration or your intention. You can say, hey, I'm sitting here uh, for the benefit of all sentient beings and really naming that kind of bigger intention than just, I'm trying to lessen my suffering a bit. I'm actually doing this as a act of compassion, of mercy, of generosity for the whole fucking world. And there is that perspective that the more we can get ourselves free from suffering, it's an act of generosity to everyone that we're not gonna be a dick to, <laughs> that we're not going to offend, that we're not gonna cause harm to. Um, that our practice actually does benefit everyone that has to deal with us. <laughs> so it is a, a generosity in that way too. Um, last question, I don't think I can probably answer, but it is, when do you know it's time to let go of a relationship? It's a big question. Um, And it's, I don't think it's one I can answer, but I will, um, I'll say this. Love can be unconditional. We have the ability, and this is what loving kindness is, an unconditional uh, uh, quality of the heart that is loving, that is kind, that is merciful, that is compassionate that is wise. Relationships cannot be unconditional. You can have unconditional love, unconditional compassion for someone, but boundaries, conditions uh, are necessary in relationships. And if some of those conditions are uh, not met and it becomes abusive and it becomes uh, you know, there's betrayals and there's things that aren't being addressed that aren't being, you know, if your partner's not willing to take responsibility to, to change to, you know, then at some point, you know, and I, I, I don't have the answer, but I do believe, and of course have experienced that at some point we can get to a place in relationship where it's like, this is not healthy anymore. And there is a thing of, there is a such thing of staying too long and of kind of uh, keeping ourselves in unhealthy situations. And then of course, there's a thing uh, of leaving too soon. And that's why I can't answer the question because sometimes it's the right thing in the right relationship to hang in there through some difficulties and some real or imagined betrayals and, uh, and that it can be very healing to stay. And sometimes it's just gonna be more and more harmful, both to us and to them to stay. Perhaps even 
when it is time to leave, but we don't really want to. It's mercy, it's an act of mercy on our partners to leave them, even if they're begging us not to, even if they don't want that really, if somebody is in a cycle of some kind of abuse of some kind of harm that they don't seem to be able to stop even though they keep promising that they're gonna change, but they don't quite have the ability to yet. The karma that is created through causing harm it would be more merciful for us to say, hey, I'm not gonna let you continue to abuse, betray, harm me in this way. Out of some level of compassion for myself, but also out of compassion for you. Because it's just not good to allow you to keep acting in this way in this relationship. So out of mercy, it's fucking over. <laughs> And sometimes that is the appropriate thing to do. Um, but I can't say when. I can only give some general reflections. I'd have to hear more about your particulars <laughs> to say when. Okay, I'm gonna leave it there for tonight. Uh, Rachel has posted the donation um, link in the chat. Please donate. Um, I do class by donation. And uh, oh, so here, here I'm going to ask you for a special donation tonight, if you can. My birthday is this week, and I'm going to be 50 years old. I'm making it to my fifth decade. And um, so in celebration of my 50th birthday, if you can, if you're in the financial position to do so, and you appreciate what I'm doing, what Against the Stream is doing, uh, consider a $50 donation to Against the Stream. And, um, you know, I, I care so much about the Dharma. I care so much about our um, center here. And as most of you understand, we've been struggling through the uh, pandemic to make the ends meet. And so your generosity is necessary and helpful. And if you'd like to celebrate against the stream and me and my birthday, consider a $50 donation. And uh, maybe you can't afford that and you wanna give less, but whatever donations come in tonight, whatever generosity comes in from this talk either tonight or if you see it later on YouTube, um, I'll consider it a, a direct birthday present to me and I appreciate you for it. And uh, thank you for your generosity. And um, I'll see you uh, next week while I'm well into my 50th year of existence. May any goodness that comes from our practice be shared outward in all directions with all sentient beings. May we learn to respond with more mercy. And uh, together, may we create a positive change on this planet. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. This is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream and Refuge Recovery. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes.